You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Network, brought to you by our good friends over at Pro Prep. As always, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's trip to Old Trafford this evening. Now, I have to apologise if I've caught some of you off guard with the early streaming time, but due to some work commitments, which mean I have to travel, I wanted to make sure that I managed to get this preview out nice and early so there was plenty of time for you guys to take it in, whether that's via YouTube or via the audio platforms. It is freezing, but things could hot up tonight if Arsenal go to Old Trafford and put in a performance. I'd be buzzing if we came away with all three points. And it's not impossible. You know, Mikel Arteta has got a really, really positive record against Manchester United. He's got two wins and a draw in his last three against the Red Devils, which bodes well. Now, of course, we're in a place where, uh, you know, Manchester United are a bit of an unknown quantity. We know that they've got quality in the squad. We know that they've got lots of talent, particularly in the attacking areas. But we don't really know how Michael Carrick's going to set them up. We got a bit of a glimpse with the game uh, between Manchester United and Chelsea last weekend. United very defensive, very um, very wary of Chelsea dominating certain areas of the pitch. And they went with three defensive midfielders, which led to Chelsea probably dominating the ball even more. I don't think Michael Carrick will do that again. I, I don't see Michael Carrick setting up to play that way at home. And of course, remember, Arsenal are not as formidable as Chelsea at the moment. Arsenal are not as feared as Chelsea. So I expect Manchester United to be a little bit more open and a little bit more expansive. As I say, bit of an unknown quantity and a game that would have been very, very difficult for Mikel Arteta and his coaching staff to prepare for. Tactically, there is no blueprint at the moment. What do you do? You know, you you, you can't look at previous and say, well, this is the way they're going to play. Michael Carrick has shown that although he was part of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's staff, he has made changes. And it, it's really difficult to get a read on things. Ralph Ranić is not yet officially in charge. He is at Old Trafford. He was uh, there yesterday having a look at the facilities. And we understand he'll probably be at the ground this evening. But of course, his work permit is yet to come through. Will he have an input on the team? Will he have uh, discussions with Michael Carrick? And will he instruct Michael Carrick on how he'd like the team to set up so that it's kind of a little bit more prepared for when he comes in? potentially. But I've got to be honest, I don't know a great deal about Ralph Ranić either and the way he likes to set up. I know that he likes to play with a high and aggressive press, in which case does that mean Cristiano Ronaldo's out again? So many unanswered questions about Manchester United that I think it's really important that we focus on ourselves and we're going to see or understand Mikel Arteta's uh, ability a little bit more to manage in-game because he's going to have to react to whatever it is that Manchester United do once the game begins, because as I say, I, I find it very difficult to imagine that he's got any inside track on what it is they're planning in terms of system, in terms of style of play, in terms of lineup. So we may well be in a situation where we start playing our game and we're going to have to react to what Manchester United do 
in-game. So a big test for Mikel Arteta and the boys this evening. It's an opportunity for Arsenal to leapfrog West Ham United and move into fourth place. And I'll tell you what, if you'd have told me at the start of the season, three games in that come December, we were in, we were in with a shout of leapfrogging the fourth place side. I would have laughed at you. But such has been the progress under Mikel Arteta. Since then, we've seen a more settled team, a more settled lineup, and we're finally starting to perform to a level a little bit more like what we expect. Has it been perfect? No, it hasn't. I still feel like we're lacking that cutting edge just a little bit in the final third. And that's clearly an area in which we can improve. But it feels like Arsenal are on the right track. And the fact that we are going to Old Trafford feeling as though we can get a result is a testament to um, you know how far we've come. I mean, in recent years, Old Trafford's always been somewhere where we've gone and I've gone, well, you know, we we stand very little chance of coming away with anything here. Normally, you go to Old Trafford, you've got to play against Manchester United, you've got to play against the referee as well. Um, Manchester United have lost that kind of, uh, what's the word? They don't really strike fear into referees anymore. Um, I'm sure Michael Carrick doesn't strike fear into referees and hopefully that will play into our hands. Obviously, we got the penalty there last year, but you know that was a rarity to get a penalty at Old Trafford against Manchester United. I had to kind of make sure I wasn't sleeping. I had to pinch myself. But look, we go there and we go there in good form and we go there as a side who have what it takes to beat them. But there are some question marks around what Mikel Arteta is going to do with the team selection. We'll come on to that in a moment. But tactically, as I say, it's really difficult for me to tell you how I think this one is going to play out. I don't expect Manchester United, as I say, to be as defensive as they were against Chelsea. I expect them to want to play on the front foot. And I'd imagine going away to Old Trafford under the lights, there are going to be moments in which we're going to have to dig in. And we dug in for a period of time at Liverpool, but then we buckled. And when we buckled, then the floodgates opened. And it's really, really important for me that Arsenal show that they've learned from the trip to Anfield. Now, I believe that Liverpool are a much better team than Manchester United. I believe that Liverpool are a much more difficult opponent at this moment in time. But there are similarities in the sense of we are going away from home to a big, old-fashioned, traditional ground against a team who have traditionally been a problem for us. And there's an opportunity here for Arsenal to get a result and you know, turn to those people who were really critical after the Anfield defeat and say, well, we're not at Liverpool's level. We all acknowledge that, but we are now going to Old Trafford and competing. We are able to go on these difficult away trips and give a good and strong account of ourselves. Look, Manchester United are a side who I expected to breeze into the top four at the start of the season. It isn't going to happen. It, well, you know, it might further down the line, but at this moment in time, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. They've been stuttering. They've got a new manager. They've had to pull the trigger on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a lot earlier than the club would have liked. Ralph Ranić comes in, but it's still all up in the air because Ralph Ranić, as I mentioned, not ready yet to take over due to work permit issues. So there's probably, I'm not going to say there's never been a better time to go to Man United because going to them a couple of weeks ago, when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's back was against the wall, probably would have been better. But we're in a place now where we go to a Manchester United team who are in the middle of a transition. And so it's imperative for those people who still have doubts about the direction in which Arsenal are travelling, for those people who are unsure as to whether Mikel Arteta is the right man and the recruitment's been right and all the various other bits, it's important that we go there and show that we can compete. And as I say, 
what better reward is there than to move into fourth place and to go into fourth place um, with a trip coming up on Monday away at Everton and Everton side who are really, really poor at the moment. You then get a chance to kind of get another three points on the board, hopefully consolidate that position moving into the Christmas period. And look, we talk a lot about the advantages of not having Europe this season. We talk a lot about the disadvantages of it, what it means for some of our fringe players. But for me, there's a real chance here for Arsenal to capitalise on the fact that our schedule has been more relaxed up until this point in comparison to some of the sides around us. West Ham United have been in Europe. Manchester United are in Europe. You know, Leicester, who I expect will get closer, uh, are in Europe. Tottenham Hotspur are in Europe. So Arsenal should be, in theory, fresher going into this really busy December period. I think we've got eight games in December when I had a look yesterday, which isn't ideal. But everybody else has got that amount of games or there or thereabouts having played European campaigns as well. So fingers crossed, you know, we can... We can continue the good form for a little bit longer and then go into that Christmas period in a really, really good uh, vein of form and in a really good position from which to push on and, of course, um, book our place in European competition next season. Right, we are going to take you through the team I would like to see start and then I'll share a prediction. It is a bit of a rushed podcast this morning. I've got to apologise and apologise again for those of you joining us late who were maybe caught off guard by the streaming time. But as I mentioned, uh, I've got to shoot off to work, got some video shoots today and some podcasts to record elsewhere, uh, which means that I had to get this done nice and early. Otherwise, it would have been too late. Um, just a quick reminder, though, before we do continue that this podcast is brought to you by Pro Prep. Attention, parents and students, we have an incredible exclusive offer from our friends at Pro Prep. This is the perfect study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering, or maths related modules. It can half your study time. Pro Prep provides bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course, which can be accessed from any device at any time. And it's already helped over half a million students to pass their exams. They provide customized STEM study tools that match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials. And after the videos, you can go through what you've learned with interactive exercises and practice questions to ensure that you're ready for the big day. You can even submit questions to the pro prep professors and you'll receive a video answer back within 24 hours. Our friends at ProPrep have created a special offer just for our listeners. All you need to do is go to their website. The link is below in the description. For more information and our listeners uh, can sign up to a 30-day trial now with no credit card information required. That's ProPrep, P-R-O-P-R-E-P dot U-K slash info slash football. That's ProPrep, the ultimate study tool. And we thank them for their support. And if you support ProPrep, you're supporting me to do what I love and to keep bringing you this podcast. Before I go on to my team, though, one thing I just wanted to say before it slips my mind again is a massive thank you to those of you who went through your Spotify rap lists and found the Chronicles of Aguna either top or in the top three, top five, whatever, and sent those screenshots out. You know, sometimes when you do this, it can get a bit lonely. You're talking to a camera all the time. And yes, there are great comments coming through and, and all of that. But it's nice to know that the podcast is appreciated. So um, it really, really does mean the world to me. So thank you for sharing those. Uh, I managed to retweet some of them, but a lot of you have been sending them to me via DMs, via Instagram, via Facebook, wherever you found me. So uh, thank you 
uh, all so much for that. And thank you for your continued support. Right, let's move on to the team that I would like to see Mikel Arteta pick this evening. And a lot of it picks itself. Aaron Ramsdale, no doubt he's going to be the goalkeeper. For me, he's been a revelation since he joined the club, was uh, hugely impressive at Anfield. And you feel as though if Arsenal are going to keep a clean sheet, we might need Aaron Ramsdale to pull off a few saves tonight. The central defensive pairing also, for me, picks itself, Gabriel and White. Tomiyasu is the standout choice at right back. In midfield, I think it's got to be Partey and it's got to be Lekonga. Um, You know, I would have said going, or I did say going into the game against Newcastle that Lakonga was, you know, just looking a little bit, I don't want to say naive. I don't know if that's the right word, but he was looking a little bit sloppy. He was looking as though he was just holding on to the ball for a split second too long at times, was trying too desperately to break the lines. I don't know if it was the Liverpool game that kind of shone him in that light where Liverpool clearly did a job on Thomas Partey and ensured that we didn't progress the ball to him and almost you know, made sure that Arsenal funneled all of their play when trying to progress the ball from defence into midfield through Lokonga, and then they pressed him and they pressed him bloody aggressively. But against Newcastle United, he was given the nod. He continued um, in the side and performed actually very, very admirably. Created chances. Um, I read some stats straight after the game that were really impressive and showed Lakonga in an excellent light. And I think as a result of that, he needs to continue in the middle of the park alongside Thomas Partey. Manchester United, I'm sure, will be aggressive in the midfield, whether it's McTominay and Fred or if Matic plays, I'm not entirely sure. But what you can say is that they're not going to be as aggressive in their press as Liverpool, which means that this game probably suits Lakonga that little bit more. If he's going to be able to drop slightly deep, knowing that the Manchester United midfield is not going to come with him and get on the ball and get the ball under control and then move the ball forward and then start to build play, then I think that's what Lokonga thrives at. And I think Lokonga um, is the right choice to play alongside Partey this evening. I've gone with Emil Smith-Rowe on the left wing because I think he's been so effective of late that there's no discussion about that. And I've gone with a Bamiyang up front through the middle. But, but... um. There are a few positions that are up for grabs, and and that is the left-back position, the attacking midfield position, and, of course, the right-wing position. So what are we going to do? Let's come on to discuss some of that, and then we'll take a couple of your questions uh, before I have to run into London. But um, starting at left-back, I think, for me, there's been a lot of debate about this in the last week or so. I think Mikel Arteta was absolutely right to... um, to continue with Nuno Tavares. I spoke about it a little bit on one of yesterday's shows. Um, you know, I, I said that for me, it was good to see that Mikel Arteta had applied some some good man management to the situation because it would have been very easy. And I don't think anybody would have argued had he gone, you know, Nuno, you made a couple of errors at Anfield and, and we're going to take you out and we're going to put Kiarantini back in. But instead, he didn't do that. And Nuno probably had one of his best games in an Arsenal shirt off the back of that. So continuing to maintain the player's confidence, continuing to show faith in him is obviously a real, real positive. Um, But I think that Kieran Tierney, when we did that comparison show, and if you haven't seen that already, it's one of the recent episodes that we dropped. There was a a tactical analysis episode in which we compared Nuno Tavares and Kieran Tierney and what they both bring to the table. I do feel like Kieran Tierney is a better option defensively in terms of 
tucking in alongside the centre-back and being a defender. But I feel like Tavares could bring us something moving forward as well. Now, I'm not really sure, as I say, what Manchester United are going to do on the right wing. If it was, for example, Mason Greenwood, who likes to cut in constantly, then actually maybe Tavares wouldn't be a bad shout because of his ability to play with his right foot. I wonder if with Greenwood cutting inside constantly, if it is indeed Greenwood, that would suit him a little bit more. I've been going back and forth on this one all night. I've been thinking about it during the evening and couldn't quite come to a decision. But I just think given, um, you know, I just think now we're at a point where it, it doesn't really matter which one he goes with in the sense of they're both good choices because they've both shown themselves to be very capable in that position in recent months. And so, you know, if he picks one, there shouldn't be outrage. If he picks the other equally, there shouldn't be outrage. But I am leaning towards, I'm leaning towards Tavares. I really am. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with this, but I just think he gives us so much going forward. He gives us this physicality that Kieran Tini doesn't. And again, similar to what happened after Anfield, I'm in this place where I don't really want to drop him. I, look, dropping him now will will send a message to the player that it's not about your performance. It's about my preference in this particular fixture, I believe, because he allowed him to play against Newcastle after the mistakes. But I just think that when I look at Tavares, I feel like he's just... And and look, I'm not saying that he's better than Kieran Tierney overall, and I'm not saying that, you know, Kieran Tierney should never come back into the side. But I just... I'm finding it really difficult to make a case that says that the Portuguese defender should be left out. Because he has been very effective in an attacking sense. Okay, the final ball's not always been there, but he's caused problems. His unpredictability, which I always refer to, is something that that defenders hate dealing with. His ability to drift in field makes him a very different proposition. He can, you know, the way Kieran Tierney can bomb on and go on the outside of Emil Smith-Rowe, Nuno Tavares can do that too, but he can also step into that midfield in a more narrow position as well. And... um help out there, help out Lekonga. So I am going to lean towards Tavares. I am. Um, that's me. I know a lot of people would disagree with that and that's absolutely fine. Let me know in the chat who you would prefer. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I'm going with. Moving forward into the number 10 role, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with this as well. Um, you know, this is... It, this is all dependent on whether Bukayo Saka's fit, right? If Bukayo Saka's fit for me, he plays on the right wing. But if he's not, then I think we might need to do a little bit of a reshuffle here. I know a lot of people want to see Martinelli play on the right flank. I guess for me, Martinelli, if you are going to play him on one of the flanks, I know he prefers to play from the left, but the idea of him playing in front of Tomiyasu, a fullback who's going to give him a bit more stability behind him, I think is probably a good one. So I wouldn't mind Martinelli playing from the right wing uh, this evening if indeed um, if indeed Bukayo Saka is unavailable. Uh, do we go with Martin Odegaard in the middle, again, assuming that, he's, that Saka's unavailable? Or do we go with Alexander Lacazette? This is the big question. You know, there's so much to think about here. I just, I'm finding this really difficult as well. I think if Saka's fit, Saka plays. Okay, simple as that. If he's not, then you can consider Martinelli there. You can put Odegaard there in the 10 role because I think we could do with the extra midfielder at Old Trafford. I think when we went to Anfield, we probably should have done that in hindsight. I know hindsight is a wonderful thing. 
But I think we were probably a little bit naive to play with Lacazette in there. So I'd probably lean towards Odegaard. But there's different things you can do here. You know, you could potentially move, if you wanted, Odegaard out to the flank in the absence of Bukayo Saka. Martin Odegaard, quite comfortable playing from the right-hand side. Always drifts in field anyway. Naturally, if you look at his heat maps, he takes up those positions from the right-hand side anyway. Um, and you could put Lacazette in there. You could put Emil Smith-Rowe in the 10 position and put Pepe on one of the flanks. There's, there's a lot that Mikel Arteta could do, but this is what I am going with. And a lot of people are going to disagree and that's absolutely fine. This is purely my personal opinion. So just to round up for those of you listening on the audio platforms, Ramsdale in goal, back four of Tavares, Gabriel White and Tommy Asu, Partey and Lokonga in midfield, Odegaard in the 10 position, Smith-Rowe from the left, Saka if fit on the right, if not Martinelli comes in and a Bamiang through the middle. So that is my lineup to face Manchester United. Again, just to reiterate, it's not the lineup I think categorically Mikel Arteta is going to pick, but it's the one I would pick. Uh, so please don't crucify me for it. Uh, let's see what's going on in the comments. Pop in a couple of questions. I've got a few minutes before I need to dash. Uh, there's a few arguments going on in the chat amongst yourselves. Guys, come on, man. Forget about it. It's um, it's game day. Arsenal going to Old Trafford. Let's all get behind the team. Let's all be on the same side of things. And uh, don't worry about silly arguments. And and I can see things in the, in the comments. I don't care what other people on other channels uh, say about the Chronicles of Aguna. It really doesn't bother me. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, I'm I'm seeing the comments. Who is it that's uh, slandering uh, my channel? I'd I'd love to know. Uh, Nathan, let me know in the chat. I'd be interested to know who it is. Um, just out of curiosity, to be honest. But anyway. Um, Question from Riddy. Harry, would you take a draw? Yes, I would. Um, I, I made this point yesterday. I, I don't see this game as a free hit. I don't see it in the same vein as I saw the Liverpool game where I was not happy to accept the defeat, but quite, um, quite, I don't know, I, I guess okay with the idea of it happening because I felt it was so likely. I think it, you, if you go to a game or go into a game like Liverpool thinking that you're going to win when really the chances of that happening are very low, you're going to end up in a place where um, where you're kind of inevitably disappointed. And ultimately, I, I don't want to be um, in that position. I want to be realistic about where Arsenal are at so that I can make a fair and, and calm and, and, you know, sound assessment of them. I would take a draw because going to Old Trafford is never an easy fixture. But if we took a draw, then I would take nothing less than three points at Everton. I think my target for the next couple of fixtures is four points. And then we've got that game at home against Southampton. So if we could get seven points from the next three games, I think that would be a brilliant return. And it would be a return that would see us uh, in a really strong position going into the Christmas period. If we were to lose at Old Trafford, but win at Goodison Park. Is it the end of the world? No, it's a point different to what I would have liked to see us get or what I feel we can get. So equally, I'm not going to be overreacting, but a lot of it comes down to the performance. A lot of it comes down to what we see on the pitch, um, what we, you know, what we take away, what we um, kind of learn from our team on this particular day. We've always got to remember that this is a young side developing who are going to learn things. I would take a draw. I know I've gone around the houses a little bit, um, but you don't go into the game, um, you know, 
looking for a draw. You go into the game hoping to win it. And if you see in game that you need to maybe readjust your approach a little bit in order to get out of there with a point rather than nothing, then uh, that is uh, that is OK with me. Uh, thank you for your question, Riddy. Big shout out to Matt, uh, one of our members and regular viewers. He says quality content as always, Harry. Thank you so much, mate. Really, really appreciate it, mate. Uh, John Daly says Martinelli played in the cup versus Wimbledon on the right. He won the pen. Do we think that Arteta sees him already as backup for Saka? Possibly. Um, I think Martinelli prefers to play from the left. I think he likes the idea of cutting in field, as do a lot of wingers. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, I think that for me, when you look at the overall balance of the team, and one thing that always sticks in my mind about Gabriel Martinelli was many moons ago, if you like, or whatever you want to, however you want to put it, Mikel Arteta made this comment where he talked about the lack of trust he has in the combination of Tierney and Martinelli. Now, that's not necessarily to dig out Kieran Tierney, but he is a player who has the ability or, or quite frequently enjoys bombing forward. And what I took from that was that Mikel Arteta didn't necessarily trust Martinelli defensively or feels he's a left forward rather than a left midfielder or left winger. And as a consequence, he didn't feel the combination was was right for the balance of the side. On the wrong... Apologies, the audio just cut there back. Um, what was I saying? I didn't feel that Mikel Arteta trusted the combination on the left-hand side of Martinelli and Tierney because of how frequently Tierney would bomb forward. And I think, as I say, he sees Martinelli as a left forward rather than a left winger or a left midfielder. And that impacts the balance of the side. If you are going to play Martinelli in one of those wide positions and you want to be able to give him that little bit more freedom and the ability to go and attack more aggressively without really being too worried about what's behind him, then it makes sense to play him on the right in front of a right back who is a right back, a right back who you could argue is more of a centre back and who is more inclined to hold his defensive position than what we have on the left-hand side. And that doesn't matter if it's Tierney or Tavares. They both like to bomb forward. They both vacate certain spaces and they both uh, join the build-up of the attack a lot more frequently than Tommy Asu does. Tommy Asu got involved a lot more against Newcastle at the weekend, but ultimately that was because we were at home to Newcastle. I think Tommy Asu in a game like tonight will certainly be that little bit more conservative and a lot more aware of his defensive uh, roles and responsibilities. Uh, Matt says, uh, which player of the current squad do you think has the highest ceiling? That's a really good question. Um, at this moment in time, I feel like it's Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, I feel like it's Emil Smith-Rowe. I feel like Gabriel's got an incredibly high ceiling as well to go on and become an incredible centre-half. Same with Ben White. Uh, so there's a lot, uh, there's a lot. And that's why I'm so positive about Arsenal at the moment. I think Lekonga's got a high ceiling. I think Saka's got a high ceiling. I think there's a number of players in that squad we can look at and say, yeah, you know, we're um, we're uh, we're in a good state here and, and we're moving forward. Uh, let's take a couple more. Uh, Adam Daniel says, are you disappointed with uh, Pepe as a signing so far? Um Look, I've been underwhelmed by Nicolas Pepe. There's no getting away from that. No matter how much you want to defend him, you know, you've got to acknowledge that the club paid £72 million for this player. Is that his fault? No. Should it be held against him necessarily? No, not really, because it's, uh, you know, it was the club's decision to make that move. I think I've learned and realised and, and understood very, very quickly that Nicolas Pepe is not a £72 million player. Therefore, I shouldn't 
um, judge him on that. And I'm going to judge him more like a, a 25, 30 million pound player, which I believe is is what he is. Yeah, look, I've been disappointed, but I still think he is a good squad player. I think he's a good option. I still think he brings something to the table a little bit different to everybody else. And I still think he has a part to play this season. It's why I wouldn't be so uh, quick to kind of cast him out into the cold. Uh, a Noonan says, um, morning, Harry, what has Odegaard done to warrant a starting spot? Uh, I knew that I was going to get uh, a bit of stick for putting Martin Odegaard in there. So this is the thing for me. I felt like when we went to Liverpool, we were a little bit naive in playing Lacazette in behind Aubameyang because we couldn't work the ball to Lacazette. We couldn't release him into the spaces from which he's been very, very effective. You've got to remember that Liverpool had a very kind of, or did a very specialist job on Lacazette with Fabinho, a player who is probably one of the best defensive midfielders in world football at the moment. He went and he parked himself on Alexander Lacazette and prevented Arsenal progressing the ball into that uh, into that particular area. Whenever Lacazette got on the ball, he was crunched by Fabinho, who's very strong, very clever, very physical. Um, and, and it really nullified us. And then we ended up with a player who was in a hole, in a space where we couldn't really utilise him. But we were also without a natural midfielder in the defensive phase, which I think was a problem for us. So that's why I don't think we should play Lacazette tonight. Why does Odegaard warrant a starting spot? Well, because Martin Odegaard is an incredibly effective presser of the ball. And I think it's important that we do that against a Manchester United side who are not with the highest of confidence at the moment. Martin Odegaard has an eye for a pass. I think in the game against Newcastle, there were a couple of moments where I turned around to my mate next to me and said, that was the right idea. You know, he didn't quite execute it, but he dropped into these holes and he moved the ball into, into key areas and, and tried to pick out Aubameyang on multiple occasions. We also seem to have a hell of a lot more possession when Martin Odegaard plays in the side and the stats and the facts back that up. We also create a lot more opportunities when he's in the side. And again, the stats and the facts back that up. He works incredibly hard. He is a leader. He, you know, urges his teammates to press alongside him when he goes out there to do it. I think there's a lot of positives about Martin Odegaard that for some reason people are choosing not to see at this moment in time. Has he been at his best? Has he been at his maximum? No, we know that there's a lot more talent there. We know that he, there's still a lot more to come from Martin Odegaard, but he's still a better option in that position for me than most. And, you know, People will talk about him not having as many, I don't know, assists as he should have or, or scored as many goals as he should have. You've got to look at the impact he has on the team overall. And I think that's a good way to judge Martin Odegaard at the moment. Is he always running through on goal, having shots? Is he taking pot shots from the edge of the box? No, but simply occupying certain areas of the pitch sometimes can cause uh, spaces to appear in other areas and, and spaces that your teammates can then exploit. I think football is a lot more complex in saying, oh, well, he's not scoring goals and he's not creating goals. So, or, or di he's not directly creating goals. So we need to dismiss Martin Odegaard. It's about bringing a balance to the side. And I think that Martin Odegaard really does that. Um, I think when you think about some of our best and most impressive performances this season, he's been in the side. Um, you know, there's been a couple without him where Lacazette's done a good job. But I don't think that you can um you know you can uh you can say that he's he's not deserving of of consideration at least ahead of tonight's game 
Let's say a big thank you uh, to Josh FC, who's just become a member of the YouTube channel. Josh, thank you so much, mate. Honestly, really, really appreciate your support and welcome to the Chronicles of Aguna family. Make sure you hit the community tab and uh, join our Discord server where our members are uh, conversating all things Arsenal and life, I guess, as well uh, from time to time. Uh, Graham Brooks says, do you expect Ronaldo to come back in and how do we take care of him? I think... Michael Carrick will find it extremely difficult to leave Cristiano Ronaldo out of the side again. I mean, some people argued that it worked at Chelsea and that it was the right thing. I would argue that Manchester United were extremely lucky at Chelsea. They were completely dominated. They failed to create anything of note. And their goal didn't come from the forwards that were playing ahead of Cristiano Ronaldo being brilliant. It came because Jorginho... Uh, decided to try and bring the ball down out of the air when actually he probably should have just headed it or volleyed it clear um, initially. Was it good from from Sancho to pick up on it and, and press him and, and be aggressive? Yeah, of course. But ultimately, Jorginho doesn't make that mistake. The goal doesn't come. So I think although United were holding Chelsea and keeping Chelsea at bay for long periods, they didn't have anything as an attacking threat. And he, with somebody like Cristiano Ronaldo, even if he's on the pitch, you're always wary of him, right? Because you know he only needs one chance. He only needs one moment. I don't buy this narrative that Cristiano Ronaldo has been the problem for Manchester United. For me, you as a manager have the luxury of having one of the greatest players of all time, somebody who is still um, or, or is currently one of the best strikers in world football. I still believe that. You'd want Cristiano Ronaldo in the box over most at this moment in time. I think as a, a manager, you need to find a way of accommodating Cristiano Ronaldo. I do expect him to play tonight. I do expect him to play up top. His aerial threat is massive. I think you just need to put a man on him and make sure that you've got somebody in close proximity to deal with, um, to deal with his, um, you know, his the knockdowns and all of that stuff as well. The, the thing is with Cristiano Ronaldo is you can never take him lightly. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care if he's 36. I don't care when he's 56. He's Cristiano Ronaldo and he poses a threat, a threat that Arsenal really, really need to manage. Um, the fact that he doesn't press aggressively might help us in the sense of allowing us to progress the ball out from the back a little bit easier. But I just think in terms of taking care of him, we just have to keep our usual defensive structure um, I'd like to see Gabriel tasked with dealing with him uh, when the ball's coming into the box rather than Ben White. But again, you know, if Ronaldo peels off and goes out towards the, the left side, then he's going to he's gonna pick up Ben White. Uh, Manchester United's left side, that is inside the box. And you're going to need Tommy Asu maybe to tuck in and help him in a similar way to how Tommy Asu tucked in and helped Ben White out when we went to Burnley earlier on in the season. So I think that's something to worry about. But again, so difficult, isn't it, to know what Manchester United are going to do here. Right, uh, we are going to wrap it up. Um, you can join me on the 90 Min Fans Preview Show, which kicks off at 11 o'clock, which is why I've got a dash and get down to the studio. Uh, but we'll be back later on tonight with some post-match reaction and, of course, tomorrow with our tactical analysis show. I look really... Uh, I really look forward to catching up with you guys again soon. Um, thank you for the support. Thank you for all the uh, new members. Thank you uh, for being subscribed to the channel. What I will ask just before you leave is please do hit the like button because there are uh, 51 likes on the board, but we've got over 180 of you watching us live right now, which is incredible. Uh, first thing in the morning. I didn't expect people to even tune in at this time because we don't normally stream here. Um, 
Tabris says, thanks for ignoring me. I'm sorry, mate. I missed loads of questions and loads of comments, but I am uh, sort of really working through uh, today's podcast on a bit of a time constraint. I promise you um, we'll spend a lot more time with questions uh, on the post-match reaction show. Right. I'll catch you all soon. Hit the like button, subscribe on your way out, and let me know what you think of this nine o'clock streaming time. Do you enjoy it? Way more people watching than I thought. Maybe we can make it a regular thing. I don't know. I'll catch you all soon. Take care. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.